Welcome to the Better Call Daddy Show, the number one podcast where we admit no matter what happens, daddy has the advice we need to fix our problems. Introducing my dad, Mr. Wayne Friedman. That was good. It would be nice if you could also sing a song. What would the song be? You love Paris in the springtime. I just made up some words to it. I love Rena in the springtime. I love Rena in the fall. <laughs> That's right. That's good enough. <laughs> oh boy. Let's dive in. Today we have David Munford. He's going to set the record straight on porn and sex addiction. And next we're going to speak to his wife. David, welcome. Tell me about your day. You landed a promotion. Oh, Lord, yes. Yesterday we weren't busy. Today I was like, okay, we're either going to be busy or we're going to be dead. I get there and all of a sudden it just goes nuts. Busy, busy, busy. When my boss walked over, I've kind of noticed he's been watching me a little closer. He must be just watching me, training me a little bit more, and trying to just help me along. So when he came over and talked to me, when he kind of got almost next to my ear and said, we need to go talk to Monte now, and Monte's our general manager. And I'm thinking, oh no, what have I done? Because the way he said it kind of was not a friendly, hey, we need to go talk to him. Is It was more of a, we need to go talk to Monte now type of thing. I was like, oh, okay. We went and talked to him. And when we got upstairs, Monte was like, let's take our mask off. And let's all sit at different tables so we can take our mask off and start talking. I was like, okay, what's going on? My general manager just starts talking about a conversation we had two weeks ago, kind of just a progress report of, hey, you're doing great. We love what you're doing. You're doing such a great job for us. Dave was going above and beyond what we could ever imagine or what we could ever ask for. So I'm just sitting there thinking, okay, what's going on here? He's like, well, we want to promote you to full service advisor. And when they said that, I was like, I think I just was blown away because I'm like, did they really just say that? They both said, well, would you want to do that? I was like, yeah, I'd love to get a promotion. I'd love to be able to do that. It has been a crazy day. What is your job? I'm the TXM service advisor for about a year and a half now and have totally turned that, that side of the dealership all the way around. Have you found other service providers trying to push services on people that they don't need? Oh, most definitely. <laughs> There's a couple of them. Do you ever have customers that get into it with you telling you that they don't need your services? I haven't yet. I have had customers that try to argue with me about thinking they need an oil change when technically they do not need an oil change. How did you end up at the dealership? I was working at Valvoline for almost a year and things were not, <laughs> things were getting pretty dicey at home and I was having to drive an hour. So I was like, okay, something's got to give. I need to move closer to home. I need to be closer. I need, to, I just need to be closer home. And I put in the application for Toyota. And when I put the application in, they called me. And when I went in for the interview, I called somebody. They're like, well, if they're interested, they'll go to the service manager's desk. They'll give you a call. So I'm like, okay, well, whatever. They called me. And when I went in, the owner of the company of the dealership group 
actually was one of the people that interviewed me for the job. Tell me about your upbringing. I was born into a very, very strong Christian home. Got DNA of Church of God roots all the way back to my great-grandfather because he was a Church of God preacher in the mountains of North Carolina and Virginia. So, I mean, very strong Christian upbringing and very loving parents. I'm the oldest child. Graduated high school in 99. Right after graduation, had the chance to move to Atlanta. I was involved in an intense discipleship program. While I was in the program, I had a chance to travel pretty much all over the U.S. and Canada to do mission trips and to do inner city work there. 2005, that's kind of where rubber hit the road. Tell me about the rubber hitting the road. In 2005, I had a roommate and he was going to have to move out due to some health issues. So the girl I was dating at the time, I moved in with her. My dad had come over to the apartment I was living in and realized that there was makeup in the bathroom that I had. And he realized I had been sleeping with a female. And he was not happy because he was like, that's not the way we raise you. You know that's not right. You know that's not the way God would want you to be. I was like, you know what? I don't care what you say. I don't care what you think. I'm doing it. I'm 25. So I moved in with her. And in those five years, I lived in the same town as my parents. Had no contact with my parents for five years. Did not even go to church for five years. The girls living with did not really even care. We would sleep together, but that was pretty much it. We were pretty much roommates in ways. In 2010, when she told me I needed to move out because she was unhappy, and then she said, there's something else I need to tell you. I was like, okay, what? She said, I've always been with somebody since I was forever. I've never lived alone. I want to be alone. I'm like, okay. I had the rug pulled out from underneath me, and that's when I had to call my dad at 30 years old and say, hey, can I move back home? Because I was so much in a financial state, and they were like, yeah. When I moved in with my parents, I went through about a year, year and a half of depression and did not want to talk to anybody, would go to work, would come home, go in my room, shut the door, and not even, not even talk to my parents. Still live in the same house with them and not even talk to my parents. My dad looked at me one Wednesday and said, okay, you can't be like this. You've got to come out of it. And he asked me to go to celebrate recovery with him. So I went the first night. And at this point, I didn't realize I, I dealt with pornography. I didn't realize I dealt with alcohol. I didn't realize I dealt with emotional issues and everything. 2013, after some crazy things happened, realized in 2013 that those five years I dealt with the pornography, I dealt with the drinking, I dealt with the emotional issues, I dealt with smoking cigarettes. I was trying to fill a void for my life. I was trying to find love from a female that was like my mom, that I never could accept that. But once I realized that my mom does love me, when my parents came to hear me give testimony at Celebrate Recovery, my mom looked at me after and said, I never realized that you dealt with any of that. Whatever I did, whatever I have done, she said, I am sorry. And that really, and then those six years while I was living with my mom and dad before I got married, that was literally the, the turning point for the relationship with my parents and made me realize, okay, my parents do love me. 
my parents do not want to control me. They want to help me out. They want to show me what they've been doing my whole life is just trying to guide me in the right way that I should have been going. And I was stubborn headed to think they were trying to control me. Why did you think they didn't love you? I don't know. (laughs) I think it was the way I was taking that they were talking to me was they were trying to control me. I look back on it. It felt like God said, okay, if you think you know what you want and better than me, then go do it and let's see how that works out for you. I'm not ashamed of what I've done because it's it's helped me to have a voice to talk to people and be like, listen, yeah, you may go through a hard time and you may go through a dark period, but once you start talking and once you start using your voice and start asking for help, then you can be successful. You can find healing in your life. Did you ever feel guilty? I guess I, I felt guilty for pushing my parents away. It took me a very, very long time to forgive myself from it. I finally realized, okay, you had a part to play in this too. You could have stopped this before anybody else. I guess I I feel guilty because I did do that. I, I did get involved in porn. It's helped me realize the effects of what it does have on on guys. One of my missions is to help younger people realize you don't need to get involved in that your parents are there to help you your parents may not be your best friends all the time but talk to your parents your parents are there to help your parents are there to guide you were you spending your paychecks on it no i never spend any money i never got that far into it there were a couple times i did go to strip clubs so do you feel like you had any addictions Oh, gosh, yeah. Like the porn addiction, I realized that I was very addicted to pornography because I was trying to fill a void, trying to find something to make me feel good because I was I was hurting inside. I was I was so empty inside when all I had to do was pick up the phone, call my mom and say, hey, I'm not having a good day. Can you talk to me? And like the alcohol, I think that was another way I was just trying to fill a void. I never really thought of myself as an alcoholic because I knew I could stop at any time, but I kept drinking every night. What was it like re-entering the church? When I got back to church, the church I went to, I always said I would never go to that church because I always thought that church was upper class and not very accepting. When I went back, the pastor's wife found out some things that she's never shared or she didn't know. And she's like, we don't care if it's true about David. We don't care what David's done. We don't care what David's past is. We still love David. We accept him. I was like, hey, great. I realized, okay, everybody is hurting. Everybody has their own problems. Everyone has their own addictions. Everybody has their own hangups. Most people won't talk about it. Some people do. Everybody's the same. And, and that's actually where I met my wife. When she found out what I was doing or what my past was, she did not push me away. She loved me through everything and said, I don't care if it's true or not true. And yeah, while we were dating, I cheated on her a couple times to the point of the last time that I did cheat on her, I was in a sexual relationship with another female. She looked at me and she said, okay, here's the bottom line. You either stop now or we're done. What do you want? 
I guess going back to the guilty part, that's where I felt get the most guilt. Because I'm like, why am I doing this when she has loved me through all of it? Why? Why am I doing that? Now that we're married, I just wouldn't be ruining my life. I would be ruining her life. We've been through some very hard times. Divorce has never been part of our discussion. Not even cheating? No, not at all. Why did you do that? I don't know. <laughs> it was just an old part of me. The flesh side of me just got a hold of me and made me believe something that I shouldn't have been believing. It was stupid. How did it happen? We were working together late night, working together. I wasn't thinking. I was did it happen on the job? No, it never happened on the job. Why did you tell your wife you cheated? I didn't actually. She found out. That was a very hard conversation to have. I can't remember how she found out, but when she found out, she confronted me about it. I was open and honest with her, and she's like, okay, here's an ultimatum. If you don't stop right now, we're done. We took a two-week break or something like that. We took a little bit of a break. She said, I need a, I need a little bit of time to think. When we were not together, I got real close to God and real close to inner self. How would you feel if she cheated on you? I feel very hurt. I feel the same way. That was probably one of the lowest points in my life of going through that, doing that to her. I think I would have a hard time trusting you in the beginning, didn't she? She did. Yeah, she did. At least two to three months, I lost trust in her, and she would not trust me. I went to a counselor for sexual addiction. When did your sexual addiction begin? I think that's when it officially started. Were you ever abused? No, never. What about girls? Like, when did you start noticing them? I think growing up, I did. That was just normal. Really, it wasn't until 2005 that everything kind of went off the deep end, and I did everything I didn't do before. Was there, like, something particular that triggered it? I think it was the girl I was dating at the time. My parents did, didn't accept her. So I thought, okay, if you don't accept her, then you don't accept me. I thought I loved her. If you don't love her, then you don't love me. Can you talk to me just a little bit about recovery and what that looks like? It is the best way I can describe recovery. It's being very consistently showing up every day and working on, on yourself every day. Because if you stop working on yourself one day, if you just take just one day off, that's where things could, something could slip in. If I'm not conscious about working on it every day, let just one day go, then it could turn into two days. Looking at that one thing could start everything over again. I don't want it to be like that. How has this affected your communication with your wife? Oh my gosh, a whole lot better because since I've been at the dealership, it has changed our relationship so much more because I'm at home in the evenings, I'm less stressful. I've learned to deal with stress better because I'm at home and we, we love being around each other. We went to counseling because my parents have been in counseling. Her parents told us, hey, it's a good thing that you're in counseling. 
it's not a bad thing. It's not that you're going to get divorced. It's just going to talk to somebody. What's her love language? One is protection, making her feel safe. Communication is a big one. Words of affirmation? Yeah, words of affirmation, yes. Did you buy her any flowers or chocolates or? I haven't lately. Through this pandemic, we bought a house through all this. And she's always wanted a dog. Well, Saturday, we actually, there was German Shepherd puppies. We we bought a German Shepherd puppy. It's been good because I've always heard people say, when you get a puppy, it's like having a kid and you'll feel like you're raising a kid. And I was like, no, it's not. Oh, my Lord. The last three days has been nothing but raising a kid. Our puppy is a female. And oh, my Lord, she is so much like a human being. Well, now she's got her protector. She does. I had a German Shepherd puppy once, so I totally know what you're going through, and I'm sure she's tearing up your house. Not yet. David, this has been fun. Thank you so much for sharing your story with me. How can people connect with you? I'm on LinkedIn. I have a podcast. I've been trying to release my first episode. It's Seeing Red with David Mumford. Well, this has been fun. Thank you so much. So, Daddy, what did you think? Very interesting interview with David. I think there's some good lessons in this. The first thing that hits you is that, you know, you're 25 years old, you're working, a girl shows you some attention and says, hey, I'd like you to move in with me. She's very inviting. She doesn't want to be by herself. She's not even sure if he's the one, but he jumps on the opportunity. He moves in with her. Obviously, they have sexual relations. Everything seems to be going fine. And of course, the way he was brought up, though, it was a conflict with, he thought, with his parents. They didn't, uh, and with the, the church that he was belonging to. So it's also being a rebel. And it's going out and saying, hey, this feels good. This seems to be good. This is something that I want to be able to do. Whatever it takes, I'm doing it. And the interesting part is, is that, he has decided to reject some of the restrictive behavior of the church and what his parents might think to uh, kind of go on the wild side here a little bit. And the funny part is, is that in his conversation, he looks at it that if his parents are not accepting of this girl and this relationship, that somehow, instead of thinking that he's maybe made a, the wrong decision and that's not the way he was raised, he takes that and thinks that it's a rejection of not only her, but then a rejection of him as well. So he now has alienated his parents where he hasn't talked to them during this whole relationship for five years. And then all of a sudden, it's like the bubble has burst and the girl says, you know what? I'm now 30 years old and you're 30 and uh, I want a new chapter in my life and I just want to live on my own, do my own thing. And it's over. What a shakarua. He now has the realization where he's rejected everything in his life for this girl. And just in, a, in an instant, it's over. And he doesn't know if he's coming or going. So how do people make themselves feel better when they think that everything is over? Well, drinking makes you feel better. Some people taking some drugs make them feel better pornography or seeing a lot of sexuality where it doesn't have to have any meaning because obviously the relationship that he was having where he thought he loved this girl, it didn't really have any meaning. 
So that which means that now drinking, alcohol, sex, parents, church, he's, he's got it all flipped around where he, he doesn't really know if it has any meaning at all. So it can be quite disconcerting to someone when they have nothing to grasp as of, of what reality really is and what truths are and what is really what it's all about. And we question ourselves is why are we even here and what are we doing? At 30 years old, he says, well, I don't have a place to go. I'm in a financial strap. I guess I'll call my father and see if he'll take me back in. He goes back in with his, uh, and lives back at home. But still, the relationship hasn't been resolved where he's working, staying in his room, continuing some of the things he did on the wild side, and hasn't really connected with putting his life back together. And the moral of this story, which is just fantastic, is that he comes to the realization that your parents love you, your church and God love you, and it's your choices that you make is what they were questioning a little bit, and not where they were trying to control you, which is what a lot of people that can't get their way think, that if you don't do it their way, then you're trying to control them to some other way. And then he realizes that his parents do love him, his mother does love him, and he just needed some further understanding and a little closer relationship revealing that love and acceptance. And then you're able to take yourself out of this deep hole that he was in. And uh, he met another girl, he gets married, but he still has the temptation of some of these addictions and some of this uh, pornography because it makes you feel good without having to really put any feeling into it. When his uh, wife finds out also that he's had a, an extra affair, he says, look, you've got to get your act together. You either want to have a relationship and a loving relationship with me, or you don't. And if you don't, it's over. If you do, it has to be worked at, and we have to respect the sexuality of, of each other. And isn't that really a big lesson in all of this? Is that if you don't respect the sexuality, you can't really have a proper relationship. Today's episode is sponsored by Rin 10 Media. If you want to look and sound your best for a podcast of your own, you want to get in touch with Rin 10 Media. When I first contacted them, Better Call Daddy was just a twinkle in my daddy's eye. And now, only after a couple months in, we're at like 50 episodes. Reach out to info at ren10media.co.za and use the subject line, Better Call Daddy. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and tune in. Add Better Call Daddy Podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show. Yeah. <laughs>